game because church is interactive. You don't just sit there and listen. You've got to be involved. So uh, when you think of Christmas um, and you think of a white beard beyond Neil, who do you think of? <laughs> Any guesses? Close. It is the Yule Lads. Uh, who will come up in a moment. There we are, the Yule Lads. They are from Iceland and they come around at Christmas time. So, yeah, that's right. Good try on that one. Uh, let's go to the next one. Someone that like kind of flies around the skies at Christmas time and does that sort of thing. Any guesses? Anyone got any guesses? Not reindeers. Might deliver some presents, who knows? Any guesses? Any guesses? Don't be afraid. Father Christmas, close, really close. We've actually got Bafana, who is uh, from Italy uh, and flies around on a broomstick, if I can get this one to work. Uh, flies around on a broomstick and delivers presents at Christmas time. So that's Bafana. Um, she comes around on Epiphany Day, which is uh, pretty amazing. All right, we'll go one final one. Um, brings presents during the night. Like, that's an easy one. Christmas night brings presents. Yes, Grace. Santa, oh, I was really close. I thought you might get it. It's actually Chris Kind of Germany, the uh, blonde angel that delivers presents on Christmas night. Uh, as you can see, there are a lot of different traditions that exist in the world outside of Santa, but they actually do have one thing in common, um, and that includes Santa Claus as, as well. They all have this one figure that they, they look back to, and so we're going to talk about that today, and that's St. Nicholas, um, who many of you may know. Um, what we're going to do is explore the history a little bit and the tradition to see how Santa, what we know Santa today, is actually rooted in a, a deeply Christian tradition uh, and has an ancient past that's actually more miraculous than being able to you know, fly through the skies in a sled or break an enter without anyone knowing. Um, so, uh, there he is, that's St. Nicholas there. Of course, many of you may know that Santa Claus comes from St. Nicholas um, there's actually not that much we know about Nicholas historically compared with a lot of the other saints, um, which has probably led to the fact that we have so many different versions throughout the world that have um, come out. There are some facts that we know, though, uh, and I think this helps us paint a bit of a picture as to why we have um, the, the figure that we have today, um, both from St. Nicholas and Santa Claus. So, uh, Nicholas was born in the 3rd century uh, in a village called Patara, which is in Asia Minor, which is kind of modern-day Turkey, so you can see it up on the, up on the map there. Uh, his parents were very wealthy. Uh, this was a, a port city and was a bit of a thoroughfare from what I understand, so there would have been a lot of trade, a lot of wealth would have moved through the city, and so their parents uh, had quite a bit of estate and quite a bit of money. However, they were also devout Christians. You see, Paul in his travels actually went through Patara, and we see that in Acts. And so it was probable that Paul helped start the church in Patara, which uh, St. Nicholas's parents would have been a part of um, later on in life. Um, during the epidemic, Nicholas's, Nicholas's parents died, and so they actually left him the estate, obviously being um, the firstborn and actually only son, um, received all of their wealth. And so I can imagine at this point, in a city like that, there would have been a great temptation to live a very different lifestyle than the one that we were about to learn about. So you can imagine a port city, there'd be a, a bunch of travellers, there's a lot of money, there's adventure you could go on, there'd be every possible opportunity to do some perhaps less than uh, holy behaviour. That's not what happened though. Nicholas had learned well from his parents and took up Jesus' call in Matthew 19. 
where he says, if you want to be perfect, or that could be read as high or in high virtue, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Or perhaps Jesus is called to die to self in Luke, uh, uh, in Luke 9, um, to take up his cross daily. And so that's what Nicholas did. He used his considerable wealth that he'd gained from his parents to help the poor and oppressed in that uh, town of Patara and some of the surrounding regions. A man had wealth to do probably whatever he wanted in that time, chose to help those around him that were in need. It's quite incredible. I mean, he could have had, yeah, like a party lifestyle or he could have even had maybe a more noble kind of pursuit, like a, um, finding a wife and a family and settling down and, you know, caring for them and, and living in abundance. But no, he used his wealth and his privilege and helped those around him who were in need. And this wasn't necessarily like a season of charity where he kind of, his parents are going, oh, I'm going to be really charitable and do this for them. He actually dedicated his whole life to this. Now, there isn't an official record of, of how far-reaching um, his uh, generosity went. Um, we don't have those records. That's uh, another area of Pataris. So that's kind of to give you an idea of what it looked like. Um, so we don't have that official record. But we do know that sometime in the 4th century, Nicholas became a bishop. Now, he didn't become a bishop of Pataris. He actually became a bishop of Myra, which was another coastal town just slightly down um, from his hometown of Pataris. And it's a really odd story. So usually the way that they would um, select bishops would be to uh, hold a council and they would look at everyone in the region, the religious leaders and teachers, and say, you know, this is who we think would do it. Supposedly, and this, again, may be this, you know, legend of Santa, but uh, an old bishop stood up when they were having this um, council and said, I think we need to go to um, where everyone's going to pray tomorrow, and the first person that walks in called Nicholas, we're going to call him bishop. what it says. I, um, I don't know if that's the best way of choosing a leader. Uh, I don't think we chose Swan like that, but, um, you know, it worked out for them, so they can kind of go with that. One fact we do know, and the reason, one of the big reasons we know he was a bishop, was he was actually at the Council of Nicaea in uh, 325, and so clearly his life modelled well after Jesus, enough that people respected him as a bishop and gave him a position of authority. Um, there's a lot, uh, so, so Nicholas is now bishop in Myra, so he's got quite a big um, area to take care of. And there are a bunch of stories that you can read about. He did lots of good works during um, famines. There were pirate raids were quite often came through. Um, lots of children he helped out, which then led to the tradition of Santa helping children. Um, he was really big, and I think he's the patron saint of children, if anyone, if anyone wants to correct me. I've got the microphone, so... That works out that way. Um, so he kind of had all these amazing stories of helping people in the area. But there's one particular story that I do want to tell because I think it gets at the heart of why charity uh, has become such a big part of Christmas and then probably the legend of Santa Claus begins. So um, the way it goes is that uh, there were three daughters. Now in that time, uh, as a, a father of three daughters, you would have dowry to pay husbands to come marry your wives. If you didn't have this dowry, or if you didn't have enough, you wouldn't get the, you know, the cream of the cup husbands, you might get the middle ones. And if you didn't have any money, then you wouldn't get husbands. And likely your daughters would have to be sold into slavery uh, at best, and more likely it would be prostitution. And so this father was at dire needs. He had no money, didn't have any money to put together to pay this dowry. And so his three daughters were going to have to go into prostitution. And the story in the legend goes that uh, St. Nicholas, um, without people knowing, dropped coins, money, through the window for each 
individual kid at different times, and they were able to be married off. If you go further with the legend, it actually says that the money that he dropped off fell into a stocking near the fireplace or a shoe that was drying by the fireplace, which is likely where we get the tradition of putting out Santa's stockings. Um, or in Germany, you put out boots uh, on the 6th of December, I think it is. Um, and so I think what, what is amazing is that this story, um, you know, it's uplifting, it's great. These, these kids get brought out of um, poverty and are allowed to marry, and it's, it's fantastic. But I think what it really does is gets at the gritty nature. Like, it, it's real and it's based in, in uh, you know, um, suffering and the reality of the human condition. It's not just a nice, fluffy Christmas story. You know, it's not a story about someone can delivering some parents so can, kids can have a good Christmas morning, as good as that is. It's actually the story of a man with means using what he has to bless those around him, to step in a world far different from his own, being wealth and privilege, and to bring light to those around him, to bring uh, flourishing, or a word that Jesus would have used, which is shalom, the idea of flourishing in your whole community. He's following in the footsteps of his master, Jesus, who came into our mess to save us. The story provides hope precisely because it's real. And I wonder sometimes if we kind of miss that at Christmas with all the tinsel and the lights and the snow and the, well, not snow, but the, um, everything else that's going on, we kind of miss the reality of it. But then the question becomes, well, how did an ancient bishop come to be known around the world as a um, large man giving gifts in a red suit? And there is a ton of history about this, and a lot of it is medieval history, and it's law, and it's super interesting, and I'm not going to bore you with it today, because I don't think you'll survive the morning. Um, but I do encourage you to look into it. It's extremely interesting um, where you know the patron saint went, and, and the way that he exploded into the medieval world, and the Protestant... Re Sorry, I'm getting into it. I won't go into it. It's really interesting if you want to look it up. Um, but instead, we're actually going to talk about how uh, we've become accustomed to uh, Father Christmas, or Santa Claus, uh, and how that came about. And funnily enough, the reason we have that is the Dutch, of all people. Um, there are a lot of stories surrounding this, so I'm going to kind of pick one lane. Again, there's a lot of lore and mystery to this, so I'm going to pick one lane and you kind of go with it. So arriving in New York, or at that time New Amsterdam, uh, in the 18th century, Dutch families brought with them their tradition of Sinterklaas. Um, which was based on St. Nicholas, and they would celebrate his death day, or eventually became his feast day, in December. He is depicted as um, an elderly, stately, and serious man with white hair and a long, full beard. He wears a long red cape um, over a traditional um, bishop's alb, so you can kind of see the vision up there. Uh, he had um, a, a red mitre and a ruby ring, and he holds a gold-coloured uh, crozier, which I don't even know what that is, but it looks fancy, uh, and a long ceremonial shepherd's staff with a fancy curled top. So that's a pretty, you know, uh, an amazing vision of, he still kind of looks like a bishop, it still looks like a religious person, you can understand celebrating that as a saint's day. And so you would think, well, great, this is amazing. We've got the generous spirit of St. Nicholas moving into, you know, the new world in New Amsterdam and to become New York, and um, this is going to be amazing. It's going to elevate Jesus' message into the new world. But almost the opposite happened, and quite quickly. The celebration of St. Nicholas or Sinterklaas included gift-giving. So this tradition uh, was about carrying on the legacy of St. Nicholas, as we spoke about, and it moved now more towards giving children presents at, at Christmas time, uh, and it was about providing joy and a way to continue on that message. But 
very soon this actually began to change. One of the biggest changes, uh, and, and probably created a real turning point in this story, is the, uh, and the most obvious, was a poem written in 1823 by Clement Clark Moore. Does anyone know what that poem is? Towards the Night Before Christmas. Very famous and often read at Christmas time. It describes Santa essentially as we know it today, and likely driven by where the way the culture was headed and a vision of what Sinterklaas or Father Christmas had become. It was even further pushed in uh, 1881 when political cartoonist Thomas Nast used the imagery in that poem to create the likeness that you can see above me. Uh, as you can see, things are starting to slowly move away from what St Nicholas was. And by the time that the 20th century rolled around, uh, Christmas and St. Nicholas had taken on a whole new way of being. It was uh, consumerism and buying and product placement, all these things. Department stores became one of the, the biggest movers in this. They played a huge role employing Santas to come into their stores so that kids would come and ask what they want and the parents would shop while they were doing it. You can see uh, above me, that is the John Martin's parade. Uh, the only reason we have a parade is because it was sponsored by a shop and it's now sponsored by national pharmacies. Uh, the traditional, uh, tr Christmas tradition had become entangled with consumption. Uh, most of us have likely experienced the magic of the magic cave. Um, that is from sometime in the 70s, I think, if anyone can... Neil, do you remember that at all? I don't know. Maybe. That's right. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so we've likely, all, we've likely all experienced this, and it is really nice, but instantly you can see the move away from where St. Nicholas started into this, um, yeah, Christmas based on, on purchasing and, and um, greed to some degree. Even Coca-Cola got in on it, and they had a huge hand in popularising the vision of what we see as Santa. They ran a string of ads and still do. Um, obviously the red worked really well for them, and it became a, a really popular thing. Um, I actually had a little play with AI to see if I could get a uh, St. Nicholas Coca-Cola ad, and this is what it came up with. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. It might not do as well as uh, Coke have done, but, you know, I, I think there's some, some merit there. Doesn't have the same twinkle in his eye, does he? Um, and so suddenly this yearly tradition of remembering to be generous and to help others and to follow after St. Nicholas's example becomes a time of spending large amounts of money for those in our immediate circles. And these events have shaped what modern culture believes we, we celebrate Christmas time. I was um, speaking with a guy yesterday who, um, he kind of really didn't actually know what Christmas was beyond what, what we know about. And I kind of said, oh, I'm a Christian. He said, oh, is Christmas big for you? I don't really know. And I said, oh, it's actually the birth of Jesus. Uh, and he said, oh, really amazing, was it that day? And I'm like, the conversation went on and on, but he had absolutely no idea that that was actually where this came from, the idea of being generous with your money. Do you know, in 2022, Australia spent $74.5 billion on Christmas. That includes food and presents and, and everything, $74.5 billion. I actually looked up, I, I can't remember the exact number, I've, I've pulled the stat out, but I, I looked up what the Australian government gives to homelessness and housing. It's just over one billion. So our Western version of Santa, who appears in department stores and ads and toys, is a counterfeit to what 
St. Nicholas was getting at. Now, Christmas and Santa now represent capitalism, consumerism and waste instead of pointing to Christ. You know that old saying, a reason for the season? Completely lost it. And so what do we do with all of this? When the tide of culture tells us that we need to be buying presents, that's how we show love. Every corner we walk around has a a Santa Claus adorned with a sack of presents and then probably a company's logo next to it. How do we go against this overwhelming push from culture? You know, I actually think it's a real opportunity for us as the church, especially in the West. Now, the early church grew rapidly. Um, in the early, uh, I think it was the, well, basically from Jesus' time on, but certainly in the, in the 4th century, it grew massively where the Romans became really worried about it because of its growth. And do you know what the one reason um, that's cited amongst every scholar that I see was because of how charitable they were. It was so countercultural what they were doing. They were looking after people in their community that weren't a part of their people. They were looking after poor Romans. That didn't make any sense. That's what drew people to them. That's what people ask the question, why are you doing this? Why are you helping me? And they were able to point them to Jesus. What if Christmas becomes that again for us as Christians, for us as the church now in the West? What if we are able to use that as a springboard to say to people, I'm actually going to be charitable to all, not just my immediate family. I'm going to be charitable to everyone I see, the poor and oppressed. I'm going to look after everyone that... I can possibly find because of the love that Christ has given me. And when they ask, well, why are you doing this? That's such an easy point to Christ. Amazing. You know, in 1 John, it says this, this is how we are to know love, uh, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. Christmas can actually be a radical time of um, generosity. Looking back at uh, what St. Nicholas did and was on about all those years ago, it was radical love. And it changed the hearts and minds of people in his community. But it wasn't just with words, it was with actions. He didn't just be with them, although as helpful as that is, he actually helped their earthly needs. We, um, we have an opportunity as Christians, I think, to lift up um, those around us. With our money, with our time as well, with our uh, presence... Um, we have the opportunity to ensure that the lowest around us can be lifted up to a similar level. You know, that's really, that's how we can spread the kingdom of God. But this is how St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Myra, the guy that became essentially world famous and is known by almost everyone in the West and beyond, did it. He was generous with all that he had, not just some of it. He was generous with all that he had, and it was a lot. This is how we can let people know that we are in the mess with them. The, the mess and the waste and the greed, 
there's one who is, is bigger than all of that. And we look to him, Jesus, as an example of how to sit in that with people. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, or Hosanna, the one that will save us. What about if each year, as December rolls around, we use it as a time to remember? Now, that's what a lot of traditions do. They exist as a yearly or monthly or whatever it is. A tradition exists to remind us of something. What if Christmas became a reminder to us that we need to be generous all year round, not just at Christmas time? What if that reminder allowed us to walk past someone in the city and say, do you know what? I actually need to be called to be generous here. This is important. This is the story of Christmas lived out through every day of the year. This is taking up my cross daily. Now, I do want to stop here very quickly, and I'm, I'm coming to an end, but this isn't meant to guilt trip anyone. I don't, I don't, that's not my heart with this to guilt anyone. However, if you are feeling convicted in this, then I think that's important. The Spirit is convicting your heart to say, maybe I need to be a little bit more generous. Maybe I need to look at what I'm doing at Christmas and who that's helping. That's okay. Kind of be okay with that feeling and let it run. Let it see, see what happens and see what the Holy Spirit tells you in that. And so, yeah, Christmas can be this time of a yearly reminder to live out our uh, lives generously in secret following Jesus' call to bring hope, peace, joy and love as we're going to light a candle a little bit later. St. Nicholas lived a life after Christ using what was given to him and helping those around him, both their spiritual and material needs. Can we begin to use this example as a bit of a waypoint towards Christ for others, using what we've been given, which is abundance where we live, and use it to help those around us, their physical, their emotional and their spiritual needs, often which are very intertwined. We can truly love them as Christ has loved us. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your son. Thank you for the the generous gift that you gave of your son coming down into the the absolute mess of our world. Thank you that we get a, a chance every year to celebrate and remember this time, to remember the fact that, Jesus, you came down into this when we didn't deserve it. We chose often to walk away from it, but you pursued us and followed us in it. You were born born into mess and, and kind of grew up in this mess and, and didn't avoid it, didn't run away from it, but actually ran to it and helped it. You helped those around you. Lord, I pray as we move into our week and then into the Christmas season that you, Holy Spirit, will be prompting us to run into that mess with those around us, whether that's physical, emotional or spiritual, that you will be prompting us to speak into their lives, to be helping their material needs or just to be present with them. Lord, I thank you again that we have the abundance that we have. And Lord, I just pray that we can be generous with that abundance to those around us, both in our communities and also those outside. Not just those people that we know, but the people that we don't know and getting to know them. Holy Spirit, we just pray that you would bring your kingdom in now as, as we sit in this time of Christmas, that you would be prompting all of us and convicting all of us in the way that only you know in your beautiful and perfect way. And we pray this in your name. Amen.